Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR, talent, and leadership communities to you. For more episodes and the latest articles covering what's new in the world of work, visit hrgazette.com, subscribe and follow us on social media. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. In this episode, we're going to consider what organizations need to know to cultivate a workplace that not only retains women employees, but empowers their success. The pandemic fortunately now feels endemic and companies want employees back in the office. Today's guest says that when it comes to a preference in returning to the office, opinions seem to be directly tied to age. I'm joined today by Carolyn Detman, founding partner at Have Her Back, a DEI consultancy listed among Fast Companies World's 50 Most Innovative Companies for 2022. Carolyn and her team recently conducted a Women in the Workplace study to better understand how companies can improve their retention of female employees at a time when women are leaving their jobs at historic rates, listeners. The study overwhelmingly suggested that Gen Z professionals are seeking the in-person workplace for networking, mentorship and learning opportunities. Alternatively, boomers, Gen Gen X and millennials seem to be thriving in a remote environment due to their level of experience and other commitments. Listen as Carolyn shares her take on the findings, plus she'll offer ways corporations can improve their practices to better support different generations of women in the workplace. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the show today. Bill, thank you so much for having us. We are very excited. Okay, so beyond my wee introduction there, why don't you start by telling our listeners a little about about yourself, about Have Her Back, the mission, uh, what you do, and how you started. Absolutely. So I'm Carolyn Detman. I'm one of the co-founders of Have Her Back Consultancy. We're a culture consultancy that works with some of the largest companies in the world to tackle equity for all differently and authentically. Um, We uh, started this business about in September of 2019. Little did we know that we would be um, facing a global pandemic just about four or five months after we launched But I will back up with why we launched and why we decided to leave our corporate American jobs um, that we had spent decades in building our crafts, my partner and I. Um, For myself, I spent about two plus decades as a creative uh, director for a global communications agencies and working on some of the biggest brand names in the world. Um, and uh, my partner is worked on the corporate side. She worked in HR. She ran a DI and she was chief people officer at different places. She spent 15 years at PepsiCo under Indra Nui um, as their lead of DEI, as an example. Um, the two of us came together post um, Me Too. Um, because interestingly for me on the creative side, one of the thorns in my side coming up as a female chief creative officer in particular were, I was a bit of a unicorn. There weren't many female chief creative officers. And I would work with HR over the years to try and recruit. And then once we had um, women creatives to retain them, it was very difficult to do both. In fact, it was way too difficult. And oftentimes, um, you know, I would be told similar to what I think a lot of people are told is that 
um, due to being a working mother. People don't want to work the hours. They don't want to do all of these things. Of course, I was a working mother myself. So I knew that really wasn't it. And ultimately, it really came down to culture and the cultural fit or non-fit. And in a place that was dominated by white side men at the time, that became a very difficult place for women to feel like they were included um, and actually to feel excluded from the best campaign work, the best client work, those types of things. So we have her back actually really started from an internal um, marketing challenge that we put out to marketing and communications agencies around the world to do better for women and to ensure that we had more women in leadership positions, more women making the decisions and coming up with the ideas for the companies that they were working for. That's how it started. Certainly, we never anticipated the um, reception that we would get from companies all around the world that saw us making changes, bringing more women and people of color into our creative departments and coming to us and saying, we need this help. What are you doing that's that's really driving this change? And we took a very creative approach to driving the change and to driving a culture um, that really worked for women in particularly. And so what ended up happening was that companies started to ask us, we need that. And it was in every sector. It was in every industry. And of course, we knew that this was an issue everywhere. We just didn't realize the real need that people in companies, or you know, particularly in C-suites, were looking for different ways to really attack this and make progress. And I think that was why we started it is we hadn't seen the progress that we would have liked to have seen for women. And I think that desire still very much exists today. And then of course, the pandemic really um, served for us to even make this need even more relevant going forward. So Pamela and I, we joined forces, she as the, you know, with that HR background and me with sort of that creative background. And we decided if we were going to create a business to really help women, that we were going to um, own that business. And we were going to make sure that we actually um, played a really big part in driving not only some incredible client work for our clients themselves, but that we would build the culture that we had always wished that we had worked for and never had. Okay, wonderful. Thank you very much. Uh, You mentioned that the pandemic put extra pressures on making sure there's equity for women in the workplace uh, at all levels. But I'd, I'd love to dig into that a little bit more with you now. I mean, in, in the last sort of six months or so, we've seen this phenomenon called the she session, for example. Uh, lots of women quitting their jobs, doing their own things, starting up their own businesses, whatever that might be, joining the gig economy. What challenges and what opportunities have you seen come out of the pandemic for, for women in leadership roles and other positions throughout organizations? Yeah, I think the challenges have been really well stated, I think. And, and a lot of that is driven, right, when um, because of childcare responsibilities that still mainly fall on women, particularly during the pandemic, when you couldn't count on even schools or childcare in any way, shape, or form, when everything was closed down. But I think as the world starts to really emerge, right, and as companies are welcoming people back to the workplace, um, 
those realities that COVID is still there, right? And in fact, just recently, right, some closures in our own schools here in Chicago started happening again. So I think the reality is, is that the, the pandemic is still, unfortunately, something that women are facing with. And, and so we have to be cognizant of that right at the exact time that companies are bringing and welcoming women back to work, welcoming all back to work. We actually have to make sure that, in fact, it is welcoming the way that they're bringing people back. So we conducted a study um, where we asked women, we asked about 600 women back um, late, late, late last year about their feelings about coming back. And it was just very interesting to see a lot of commonalities across the generations and right and across the different ethnicities, but there were some variations as well. But I think the hottest topic of all, um, particularly in the here and now, is sort of intention versus impact that companies are potentially having as they're trying to, with I think, very good intentions to bring people back to the workplace um, in a hybrid fashion. Um, but what we our study actually found is that the vast majority of women uh, prefer flexibility over remote. And in fact, when we asked that question, 79% of women preferred a flexible schedule versus 4% that said that they preferred remote. So that's quite a stark difference. Um, and that's something that we need to be cognizant of as we're thinking about retaining and recruiting women going forward. Okay, thank you very much. So you gave a bit of an overview then of of the uh, the study, the women in the workplace study, and uh, you note the difference in hybrid versus flexible, and some see that as the same. Can you explain the difference and why one can be say seen as more beneficial than the other? Yeah, I think one of the things that we talk a lot about is that they definitely are not viewed as the same. Although I think some companies are thinking of them as the same, and at Haverback we really are working with companies that have the best of intentions, but you have to remember the impact is not always as intended. And I think this is one of those key areas that companies need to understand. So from a hybrid perspective, what we're talking about, we define that as working um, scheduled days on site and some off site. And what we're seeing a lot of um, certainly here in America is three days a week. Those are set days, you know, so as an example, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays are the set days, or Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays are the set day where everyone is coming together every week, and therefore there are two days where people can be working remotely. Flexible is defined as the ability to make your own arrangements as needed. Now, what flexible, this is very important, what flexible doesn't mean is that they don't want to come into work. And in fact, our study absolutely showed that 58% of all the women we talked to want to be back in the office in some way, shape, or form. That could look, I think the most popular option was two days a week. That could be you know, several times a month, but they want to be back in the office. So that's critical. It's not an all or nothing, um, but they want to do so flexibly. They want to be able to um, leverage and be in the office when needed, but be able to be home when needed. And what the pandemic, of course, has shown us is that that happens and you can't necessarily plan for it. So that flexibility is really critical for women going forward. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Let's talk a bit more about the generational differences that you hinted at in your previous answer. So uh, the, the women in the workplace study overwhelmingly suggested that Gen Z professionals are 
seeking the in-person workplace for networking, mentorship and learning opportunities, Carolyn. Alternatively, boomers, although a lot of those are retiring, of course, at the moment, uh, Gen X and my lot, the millennials, seem to be thriving in remote environments due to their level of experience and, and other commitments. What, what do the differences in generational preferences tell us about the new normal when it comes to in-person working? Yeah, well, so I think it's it, it's probably shouldn't be all that surprising, but still it is to me in the sense of this. You have to remember that when we're talking about Gen Z, the oldest side of Gen Z is about 24 or 25. So if you're talking about sort of the corporate America landscape, the majority, if not all, of the experience that they've had in workplaces has happened during the pandemic and has oftentimes not happened in an actual office. So you have to remember that that, that is an experience that they, they have not really have that lived year in, year out experience of the traditional actual workplace and being in an office. So there is a big part that they really want to experience. And by far and away, the biggest piece is that networking that they really crave over the other generations, um, networking and that sponsorship and that just hands-on learning that you can get from others that they just don't, they, they don't feel like they've been really able to really reap the benefit of from a work from home standpoint. So I think that is probably the biggest difference. Having said that, Gen Z, like every other generation, strongly prefers a flexible workplace. Um, so they, again, they want to be in the office. The way they want to use their time in the office is very much focused on networking. And so that's just something to think about that as we are scheduling time to be together and to come back into the office from a Gen Z perspective, it's going to be really important that some of that time is, is devoted and committed to making sure that they're getting that networking, they're getting that mentorship, and they're getting that sponsorship. We saw a very similar feeling from our survey from our women of color. Also, mentoring and networking is something that that they are most looking forward to um, when they're back in the office. So we just got to make sure when we are bringing people back in the office that we're making time for that. I think what's was surprising to us as we looked at this um, across the generations is essentially the greater lived experience that you have resulted in much more skepticism regarding the change that companies have been making to become better cultures for people to work, right? To become more diverse um, and inclusive. And so that's an interesting thing to think about. So again, the people who have, you know, millennials and Gen X and Boomer who have years of experience in the workplace, they, they are much harder critics on the companies that they work for in terms of have they seen more women being put in leadership roles? Have they seen the actions of greater workplace diversity, right? Those are the types of things that they say they're not seeing much action on versus our Gen Z who are much more optimistic and have looked at the last two years since the pandemic. And they're more optimistic about what in fact their companies have put in place. Um, so that's also, that's very important to them, but I think it's also really important to think about the expectations that as we're coming back into the office, that that Gen Z, um, audience has to make sure that, that they really are, um, not just walking the walk, but right. Walking the talk. Okay. Okay. I get it. I get it. But, but, uh, here's, here's my, uh, 
here's my proposal to you. So yeah, I'm 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 a millennial. I, I feel like millennials and and uh, Gen Xers they are uh, digital adopters, but but Gen Zers they're they're digital natives, right? So surely they, they can maybe replace in person mentorship or learning or networking with online alternatives much better than the mylock could for example is it is it really such a big deal that they're back in person listen i think you make a really good point and the truth of the matter is of course growing up digital like digital from birth right virtual basically from birth there are workarounds and things that they can do that probably the other generations cannot do but i think we're even seeing that that as the workplaces have been opening up how much people realize and miss actually being together, that there's nothing quite like um, sort of those moments that not even necessarily are in the heat of work, but the things that happen in and around the work that you're doing, right? That you don't necessarily get out of Zoom. So I think they're feeling that. I also think because of the age um, the on the older side of being 24 and really having been virtual, I think they crave, right, having that camaraderie, right? If you think about when you were in your 20s, a big part of your social life was who you worked with, right? That became a really, really big part of your life. And so that is something that they are also missing is just that camaraderie and building those relationships for all the things that also, again, when you think about life bleeding into work and work bleeding into life, that's a that's a big part of the social construct as well that they're they're really looking forward to the millennials and the the Gen X boomers obviously not not as much. And by the way, I, I agree. I was being devil's advocate because that's my job. Um, what, what about the flip side then? Do you think that there are boomers and um, uh, and Gen Xers who are kind of d- desperate? They're crying out to mentor younger folk uh, to to help them on their along their careers and and to have in person relationships with them again after a couple of years out of out of the office particularly the boomers given that right now 2022 we're at the peak of retirement of boomers you know they've got all this wonderful knowledge to 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 share with the 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 new generations have have you have you seen from the conversations that you've had with your clients with your peers with your colleagues that there is a, a desire from from the older generation to senior generations in the workplace to make sure that they they pass down their knowledge before they retire and, and, and exit the workplace. I do think there there is that desire. We didn't necessarily see that come out as the most important thing for them um, in terms of what they're looking for, you know, from their employees as we from their employers as we come back in to work environments. I think, um, but I, but I do think what we do see over all the generations again is it is this is not an all or nothing. This is not the majority of people want to be working from home. They do want to go back in the office. They have myriad reasons for that, but one of those absolutely is camaraderie, right? And is really getting to know each other and sharing the wealth of knowledge and the learnings and all of that that comes with it. I think. Really, as you're thinking about this, though, I think it's important that companies really take into account that there has to be programming that really inspires that, right? You need to inspire that and not just expect that it's going to happen. Because one of the things that we hear constantly from all different generations, um, and but particularly women and particularly people of color, is that they don't feel that they are getting the mentorship and the sponsorship 
that they want to be getting, even despite the fact that their companies may have actual programming around mentorship. And I think a lot of that goes back to just relationships, right? And relationship building. And the the human nature of relationship building is that you are comfortable creating relationships more with people like yourselves, right? And that is just the reality. And so what we have found as we've been working with companies, you know, around the globe is it's so incredibly important to retaining and to recruiting women and people of color is that we have to get past that. We have to be able to develop relationship and maintain and cultivate relationships with people that are different than ourselves. Okay, perfect. Thank you. You mentioned a couple of things earlier that surprised you from the study. Uh, My next question is, uh, what else? Anything else that surprised you from, from the findings? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. I think, again, because we are working with some of the biggest companies in the world, and I will tell you, they, they have been working on a lot of different initiatives prior to the pandemic in gender equity, um, during the pandemic, right, to, to try and listen to their employees and really respond. And, you know, again, this was the greatest, with the pandemic, we had the greatest social experiment, right, in empathy that companies could never have known was coming, right, in terms of their employees. And so I think companies are doing a lot. I think what continually surprises us is that their their, uh, employees really do not feel that there's been a lot of actions um, taking place. And so we've got to make sure that when companies are taking actions on their employees' behalf, that people know about it. And they need to be acting more than they're not um, currently. So our, you know, it was interesting. We we asked a lot of questions about this. We asked the question, what what has your employer done differently during the pandemic for working parents, right? Just to address the strains during the pandemic. So we kind of isolated that one question to working parents because of of again the the demand on them from children and with the pandemic and all the closures and all of that. I mean, across the board, um, unfortunately, and across the generations, most people reported really effectively that their companies had made little to no change, right? So over like 48% across the generations said that their companies hadn't made any change, right, for working parents during the pandemic. So if you think about that, and if you really process that, that's a miss, now, I would tell you, most of the companies probably listening right now and say, but, but we've, we have, we've done this and we've done that, and they can point to different things. Um, oftentimes, there are things being done. We're not necessarily communicating it. And I think this is such an opportunity for companies to do things differently and to inspire people with all the things that you are doing and make sure that you over-communicate it. Because like I said, Um, You know, as we looked at across the board and while Gen Z is more optimistic about how their companies have been doing, the folks with greater lived experience, so your millennials and your Gen Xers in particular, are much more skeptical about the actions that companies are taking and why that matters so much is if you think about your millennials and your, you know, your Gen Xers, These are your managers. These are the people that are so responsible for recruiting and retaining, right? So how they feel about a company, about the company that they work for is incredibly important. So we've got to make sure that they know um, exactly what's taking place. And we've got to inspire them with what we can do going forward. 
Carolyn, I'm sad to say that we are coming towards the end of this chat already. Before we wrap up, two more questions for you. Uh, and the next one is kind of in summary, I think, of uh, some of the things that we've been speaking about today so far. And I'm going to challenge you to answer in 90 seconds or less. Uh, what, what do you think are some of the major things that employers need to keep in mind in this new return to office era? Yeah, I, so so a couple of things. One, I think as people are coming back, we have to ensure that we're not creating two separate cultures, the people who are in the office versus the people that are not in the office. Um, that is a very, very much potential. So we have to be very intentional to ensure that we are creating one culture and one culture that is inclusive. Um, and I will tell you, um, we talk about the, the acronym ACT all the time. You need to ask people what they need and advocate for change. Um, you need to customize your approaches. It's not a one size fits all, which is hard for us in HR, of course. And you've got to coach a different way forward. And then you've got to try some new things. You have to tell people you're doing them and then you have to tell them again. Gosh, I think that was an under 60 seconds. Good work, Carolyn. Uh, okay. And just finally, how can we learn more about you? So uh, connect with you perhaps through LinkedIn. Maybe you want to share your email address. Maybe you're super cool and you're all over TikTok. And also how can they, the, our listeners learn more about what's going on over at Haberback? Well, listen, you can absolutely find me all over LinkedIn, Carolyn Detman, um, Instagram as well, and Twitter. And so we're quite active, but have her back, haverback.com. Please go there. You can learn a lot about us. We do a brief every month where we keep people up to speed on kind of the latest and greatest as it relates to tackling equity for all differently and authentically. And follow us at Haverback also on LinkedIn, also on Instagram, and also on Twitter as well. Wonderful. And as always, listeners, there will be a bunch of links in the show notes and in the associated post on the HR Gazette. So don't worry if we didn't catch all of those just then. Hey, Carolyn, that just leaves me to say for today, this has been a pleasure. You're awesome. Um, I definitely want to do this again with you soon. But for now, thanks very much for being my guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thank you. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Chat Podcast. There are hundreds of conversations with business experts available for free on the HR Gazette website, Apple, Spotify, and all the main platforms. And remember to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media.